Content warning. This week's episode of the Five-ish Fangirls contains mature content that might be harmful or traumatizing to some audiences. The following contains discussions on or examples of explicit language, child abuse, drug use, mental illness, and sexual assault. We understand if you wish to skip this episode, and we hope that you enjoy one of our many other episodes instead. Thank you. The tangents this week continue all the way to episode 329 of the Five-ish Fangirls podcast. And join us, will you, as we uh, have a, a discussion that's maybe a little controversial, maybe a little... We'll see. We're, we're, we're trying something new here. Bear with us. Uh, <laughs> so... Welcome everyone to this week's episode of the Five-ish Fangirls Podcast. So glad you could join us. Let's start off like a door, a virtual table, and see who's joined us this week. This is Brittany and Troy. This is Holly from Wisconsin. And this is Rachel in Indianapolis, India. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. Yes, so this week is going to be a little different. Um, uh, well, first up, Chrissy is not with us because unfortunately she is very ill. Um, and the minute she tries to talk, she starts coughing. Uh, so <laughs> makes it a little hard to, to, to podcast. Uh, so, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll send her some virtual cough drops because odds are if I mailed some to her by the time she got them, she'd be better. So <laughs> sorry, Chrissy. Uh, <laughs> um, also, uh, we are veering away from our usual format um, and kind of a happy-go-lucky, I guess, um, more fluffy content. Uh, and just a, a heads up, uh, to our listeners out there, because um, I know that we do have some listeners that tend to listen in the car with children, you know, children with an earshot. This is not one for the little one's ears, because <laughs> we are going to be diving into some pretty tough and rather adult, and um, the, the subject matter is it's it's just not for the little ones. So um, you you may want to uh, wait until they're off to bed or at school or something before you listen right. to this one or put the headphones on uh, <laughs> so uh but uh this is, a, this is a very important topic um that has been on the forefront and pops up seemingly every week because somebody does something that causes a, an uproar um but uh we're not experts by any means. Um, that being said, uh, I thought it'd be a good idea to maybe bring in some people who are experts, at least smarter than I am. Uh, and <laughs> um, we would like to uh, welcome uh, for the first time, <laughs> and hopefully not the last, hopefully we don't scare them off with this, um, the first time, although this has been a long time coming, trying to get the schedules aligned, uh, but Hannah and their Brittany, aka BB from Pop <laughs> Popcorn Psychology. Hi. 
Hi. Hello. Thank you so much for having us. Oh, yes. Yeah, I am conceding my name, Brittany, for <laughs> BB for this episode to, in, you know, bowing in fealty to the Brittany of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> You're on our turf. <laughs> yes. And I respect it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, for those that may be listening and don't know about you guys, which I don't know how they do because I name drop you guys at least a couple of times a year, I think. Um, but real quick, uh, give us uh, a bit about your podcast and what you guys do in real life. Sure. Um, so this is BB, Brittany. Um, so myself, Hannah, and then another one of, we have another co-host, Ben, who couldn't make it this evening due to his work schedule. Um, we are three, um, the term is licensed clinical professional counselors, which is just the licensing name for therapists, mental health therapists. And we host Popcorn Psychology, which is a podcast in which we pick um, a movie, typically a big mainstream blockbuster movie that you wouldn't necessarily affiliate with psychology. And we teach about mental health through the scope of that movie. So it can be anything from Star Wars to Harry Potter to 10 Things I Hate About You. Like we try to do the gamut of movies and genres and like the demographics so would most enjoy those movies or try to be as inclusive as possible. And so, yeah, um, we just try to like decrease the stigma around, around mental health by connecting it to like fictional characters that we all know and love. And also one other thing to add to that is we're also three different types of therapists all trained in a little bit different way. So you also get to hear from you know, the same three people talking about a similar topic, just to see how different each one of us would, would go about it. So I'm a marriage and family therapist. Um, BB is a child therapist and Ben, who isn't with us is mostly individual therapist and is getting closer and closer to be, in my opinion, specializing in trauma. Mm. Yeah, I love your guys' show. That it's oh, it's just, <laughs> just thank you. The, I, I like to play armchair psychologist, like a lot of people, I'm sure. Uh, mm -hmm. So it, it totally like <laughs> scratches that little itch, uh, that little part of me that wants to figure out why people do the things they do, you know, what makes people tick, um, that sort of mm -hmm. thing. So I I love that and putting it in the context of popular culture, um, I think makes it a lot easier I think when you start getting into diagnoses and treatments and things like that it makes all the big words not seem so scary <laughs> um, but because you guys have that psych psychology <laughs> background um, even if you're not necessarily you know specialists in this particular topic, or I don't, I'm not sure how this would exactly fit in, um, what kind of, I guess each each individual case would be, would be different, just like characters in a movie. Um, but uh, I really wanted to sit down and talk about and I really hate to use this term because I think it's so overused, but it's the one people are going to recognize about cancel culture. Um, and specifically the idea of, can you separate the art from the artist? You know, when we've got celebrities 
so accessible these days with social media and you know people are you know, can see Justin Bieber walking down the street and take a picture with their cell phone and suddenly it's shared to you know a bazillion people all over the planet like oh what's what's he wearing did he not comb his hair this morning and the next thing you know you know Justin Bieber's trending because he's got bedhead uh, <laughs> um, so um, you know, we're very much with our podcast, we are very much in tune with a lot of pop culture and, um, more so now when a quote unquote celebrity goes bad or does something worth canceling, it has effects not only on us as fans of possibly them, but their work. Um, and how it may affect our enjoyment of uh, consuming or even just the production of, of something. You know, if someone gets quote unquote canceled and suddenly stuff that they were supposed to work on gets canceled as well, it affects us as, mm -hmm. as the people who are like, oh, I was excited about that and now it's not happening because so and so did blah. It's not fun. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Plus, uh, well, we'll get into it. I've got some case studies we're going to discuss. <laughs> uh, some, some, some good and some bad. Um, so we're we're gonna we're hopefully this won't all just be just doom and gloom. Um, but um, I was really interested um, in my research because you know me, I got to research everything. Um, a quick history lesson of cancel culture and separating the artists from their their works of art um and uh while the the phrase cancel culture is fairly new to the lexicon the idea of separating someone from the rest of society because they have done something that you know society i'm doing air quotes like you can see me society deems unreasonable or too different or too extreme goes back to the dawn of civilization you know we've all as human beings we've always found reasons to ostracize someone because of some perceived difference whether that difference truly exists or not um and we've done that to very uh rather strong extremes um, mm -hmm. You know, you can go to things like the Spanish Inquisition or the French Revolution, you know, sending people to the guillotine and chopping their heads off just because they're an aristocrat. Mm -hmm. Or the Salem witch trials. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, well, even the Red Scare, you could even say, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Red Scare. And, th and that one, I think, is probably the most obvious if it's not it's not going to be the start but it's probably the biggest and most obvious point that we can point to in pop culture and hollywood and celebrity with yeah the red scare and you know get bringing all these hollywood mm -hmm. celebrities in to testify and be like are you a communist no do you know any communists and 
you've got some well-known celebrities, you know, directors, actors that either got blacklisted because they refused to name names or got ostracized because they did name names and threw their supposed friends under the bus. Um, so yeah, we've, we've been willing to point fingers and be like, that person is bad. They should go elsewhere. They should be punished so long um, for a very long time. Um, but um, as far as kind of art, um, both literature and actual art, you know, paintings, that sort of thing, um, at least as far as modern day is concerned, goes back to kind of the early 1900s. Um, in the early 20th century, there was this idea of uh, new criticism where uh, these, these intellectuals had this idea that they must save literature from the scum of the earth, essentially. <laughs> um, so they got the idea that any work of art, um, as far as they were concerned, it must be elevated and must be able to stand on its own regardless of who created it. Yeah, um, uh, actually, T. S. Eliot uh, in 1923 stated, uh, "I have assumed um, as axiomatic that a creation, a work of art, is autonomous. Like it just appeared. It doesn't matter where it came from. Um, but um, that didn't last that long." ish um i mean that was t.s Eliot in 1923 so we're looking at slightly less, less than 100 years ago um which in the grand scheme of things is not a lot of time um, mm -hmm. um but then there was this argument of if a piece of art can't stand on its own and also speak to anyone from any place or any time, is it really great? Which I think whether something is great or not is a matter of perspective, I think. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it should be a part of deciding what that art is valuable yeah. or worth noting. Right, exactly. Uh -huh. Yeah, because I was going to say, how many of these, like, takes, hot takes, are white men? Oof, that's a lot. Hey, lady, don't, okay, my stuff's still good, even if I, you know, said yeah. that thing or did that thing. Don't be such a drag. It's yeah. Like, you know, yeah. it, it does make me curious. And also, I don't know if, if you want us to jump in at this point, but. I think also the idea of the all forgiveness that is genius, you know, that I don't know if this is what you're alluding to or what they were alluding to with mm -hmm. that thought of if something is genius art, it forgives all sins in terms of its creation 
its longevity, the way its impact on culture and society. I mean, I can't speak to that as, I mean, I'm sure people write dissertations on dissertations on that idea itself. Oh yeah. In the minutia of that idea. But I, I struggle with the idea of genius is forgives all sins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that was really what was being taught um, in, in schools in that, in that time too, is um, they literally were teaching students that um, if there is uh that when they are examining a, a piece of, of literary work or a piece of art that um, you just need to take it in as is. And there's really nothing worthwhile to take from who the author was or the creator was and where they may have been coming from or what they may have been influenced by at the time. <laughs> So, mm-hmm. which nowadays I'm like, okay. Uh, <laughs> to me, that just seems very, very narrow-minded to me, um, as far as taking in something that has that changed. I think, I guess, for better or worse, um, uh, in the last. 30-ish years there was a, there was a time there in like the 60s um where things change you know if you, if you look at art and the things that were being created turn of the century versus you know mid-century obviously uh you know with the the post-world war ii era things drastically changed um you know the the communities and society were changed you know, for better or worse, but irreparably changed because of these wars that these were wars that we had gone through. Um, that was a, a time of, of change and growth, I guess. Um, and um, in the 90s, um, there was a, uh, a movement uh, called New Haristo critics chris crit <laughs> histo <rick-kis-dis. laughs> where they come up with these words is beyond me um where as far as they were concerned all works of art are embedded in the time and place that they were created in and that thir- and to thoroughly understand them we had to understand their social context um and now i think that's we'll definitely get into this um but i think that's something that we're really struggling with is we understand that there is context but there's these people that for whatever reason (laughs) don't want to they don't want to do the work i guess to put something into context it is so much easier just to bury it you know, like when, uh, when I think it was HBO Max that they took uh, Gone with the Wind off of their streaming service for a short while, because they were like, oh, it's racist. We'll just take it down. And people are like, no, this is still an important piece of cinema. And so they put it back up, but with like this little 
pre-show with like a disclaimer to try and put it into context. It's like, it's not that hard. <laughs> also, it's hilarious that it's one, they chose one film. It's, I can't believe that they chose one film as if none of the other films they have have any race issues mm-hmm. at all. Like it's what a, what an odd declaration to make about one of like, I don't know, 500 films that you're, that you can see. Yeah. Um, so that's your, that's your TLDR history lesson, I guess. Um, the, the Cliff's Notes version. There is going to be a lot in the show notes for this episode. So um, I've got all sorts of things from articles to YouTube videos to all sorts of things. Um that uh, you'll be able to to go and watch and read and and do for your your own thing. Um, so there's there's so much out there. <laughs> with that, uh, with our with our little history lesson now, um, looking at today um, and where we are as far as popular culture is concerned. Um, I think we'll touch on on that before we get into these case studies, um, is, um, you know, things like Gone with the Wind and um, things like, you know, Song of the South. You know, we we touched upon Mm -hmm. that a little when Disney announced that they were going to change the theming for Splash Mountain and theme parks from Song of the South with Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Bear and and all that. to Princess and the Frog uh, with, with Princess Tiana. And, you know, when Disney plus the, the streaming service started and a lot of people are like, you know, is this going to be the time that Song of the South is finally going to be released to the masses where, every, you know, people can finally watch it because it's been out of print for a very, very long time. If you want to pay out your nose on like eBay or something. It, it can be had. It can be had, <laughs> but... Um, but there's just, this is part, you know, this is one of those, these, uh, things that I'm glad you guys are here and hopefully you can elaborate on, but why, why does there seem to be this fear of acknowledging past mistakes which now it, you know, we're looking at everything with a modern lens. So to us, you know, obviously we see something with racist tones or, you know, watch a movie, you know, like, uh, oh, what's the movie? The Fred Astaire movie, is it Top Hat? I think where he's got a whole sequence where he's in blackface. Um, and, you know, you look at it now and you're like, Ugh, you know, you cringe a little, but we're looking at with this, with, a modern lens um but at the time it wasn't considered a mistake you know it wasn't considered racist at the time um so why why is it so why do we seem to struggle so much with being able to put things in context i guess is is my question well if you don't mind me jumping in um there's a podcast called you must remember this Mm -hmm. it's a really good podcast about old Hollywood and mm-hmm. she does um actually the Korean along with the host is married to Ryan Johnson the director which I found that out way cool. later um and I was more impressed that he was married to her than vice versa <laughs> and um because I love her and she does a whole season on Song of the South 
And I think oh, really? what feels wow. different about that particular piece of work, I don't even want to call it art, and why I kind of agree with it not being streamed now and the the um the ride being changed and stuff is that in when it was currently being made, it was pretty racist. Like even in the context of the day in which it was made, yeah. like the people that were cast, like the black actors that were cast, it was it was a pretty like shameful from what I remember listening to episode, like it was they took it because the jobs were limited. And so even while it was happening, it was um not it shouldn't have been happening. And so I think in the modern lens of in the contemporary lens of that movie, it was not a great move. Um, and then I think with the streaming and the ride, and I think where my ad, my opinion can kind of come with, can you separate the art from the artist or whatever, is that if you are making money off of this piece of work still, like Disney would be making money off of putting it on streaming platform, they're making money off the ride, um, like contemporary filmmakers and things that I don't partake in I think of it more like am I putting am I am I contributing with my dollars Mm -hmm. this piece of work and and so I can definitely understand like even with the Dr. Seuss controversy which was Dr. Seuss's foundation's idea not the public outcry I think it's more of the I we are choosing to no longer make money profit off of something that causes people a great deal of pain and so yeah. I don't know if that's so much as cancel culture as um, coming to terms with something and making the like and making a mindful decision about something that, like you were saying, Rachel, no longer no longer makes sense or no longer can be looked down, like look blindsided to in our modern lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. it uh... <laughs> Like I said, I've got so much in front of me. I wish I could find the, <laughs> the find the proper uh, <laughs> article so that I could uh, correctly quote it. But there is one of them where their kind of argument is that the idea of cancel culture is almost purely economic. And yeah, I, yes, I definitely think. Um, it is in a lot of senses, like, like not to dive into this person already, but with Kevin Spacey, like him being that movie that was shot and was finished when he was found out and then mm-hmm. they re shot it with Christopher Glover, I, Christopher Plummer, I believe. Mm-hmm. I think that was probably economic. Like, I think there's probably a lot of, a lot of people will say that it is a social decision, but I'm sure most of most of um cancel culture in the corporate realm is very economic well yeah because i think they don't want to lose people they don't want to lose no one's gonna see a money movie with kevin spacey in it yeah exactly (laughs) like like they don't want to lose their consumers so they'll kind of which i feel like highlights the that hbo hbo choice like we're not gonna we're just gonna do it with this one because we just know everybody's gonna be mad about this and it's like that's not what we mean Mm -hmm. that's not what this is about this is about and also I think what's hard in terms of you know especially about um racism and white supremacy and all those different pieces is that it's 
um, the whole idea behind it is that we act like it's not a thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we finally are sort of in a place where half of the country is acknowledging that it's a thing and the other half isn't basically. And how that's why I think there's this confusion between cancel culture and like, well, this was in the context of what was okay at that time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, right. But also we knew that that was bad at that time and we did it anyway. Mm-hmm. Or it was normalized at that time. Or it was so mean it wasn't mm-hmm. bad. Yeah, exactly. And that, and that the recognizing it is the piece that we have always failed on is not recognizing it or not pointing it out or not saying, Hey, we're going to stop making this, you know, 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Instead of like, Oh, it's 2021. And now that people have, now we have direct access to our consumers individually. So now we're going to, um, you know, scoop up the little messes whenever somebody points their finger at something, but if they don't all point their finger at the same thing, we're not going to do that. Like nobody is making like structural policy changes right yes which is what the problem is so nobody yeah. is making those changes but you know we'll we're not going to put gone with the wind on because <laughs> because of this and it's like that's not <laughs> um that's not uh that doesn't make any sense yeah it's... and it feels and it feels very um what is it performative yeah mm-hmm. like we've already had enough people pretending like they like they care we don't need to continue to have more people acting like they care when really it's only the bottom line they're ever looking at. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's where um, I see from, you know, the things I see posted, you know, in fan groups and that I'm part of and being a fan myself is I understand the economics. I don't necessarily like it, but I get it. <laughs> again Mm -hmm. context um but then i also know that my as far as i'm concerned economically you know where i spend my hard-earned dollars makes a difference to me and you know i've never hesitated to give the house of mouse my money <laughs> and mm-hmm. i still don't <laughs> even with you know the issues that they that they've had uh you know splash mountain i love splash mountain in its current iteration um but you know you go to florida and it's hot a water ride is enjoyable uh <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um you know, and you know, the songs, it's catchy, it gets in your head whether you like it or not. Um, so, you know, I, as I, as I become more uh, in, you know, to use a, a very now term, as I become more woke, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, I am realizing that, uh, you know, my, where I decide to spend my hard-earned money does say something um, about my choices uh, either to, to myself or maybe from the outside. You know, I'd like to think that nobody really gives a crap about where I spend my money, um, but social media says otherwise. So it's, it, 
this whole, you know, performative, you know, way of, of doing things up to this point, I think has put us as consumers kind of in a, in a tough spot. Um, because we like to think that we have a voice and if we all point at something enough that somebody will do something. Um, but at the same time, as long as HBO is getting, getting the, 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 the big money, they don't give a crap about me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's so hard because there's so many tiers to this, right? Yes. There is the massive conglomerate tier, which is Disney and HBO and Amazon. And, and they're so wide and varied in their investments, in their properties, in their what, all that stuff that there really is no piecing. I mean, you can definitely do your best and there's, there's, it's so hard to differentiate. I don't like where the fault is, I guess, in that, cause there is so much property there mm-hmm. unless they're continuing to roll out content that is, you know, despicable in one way or another. And then there's the other tier, which is fandom, I think, or like um, a property that's created that is, bigger than one person, right? Like, Mm -hmm. for instance, the Buffy and the Vampire Slayer, Joss Whedon stuff, you know? Yeah. I think a good rollout from that was the idea of, and I think Buffy herself, Sharon Michelle Gellar said this, is that Buffy doesn't just belong to Joss Whedon. Buffy belongs to everyone who was a part of Buffy and all the writers and, and directors and actors who are on Buffy and all the people that love Buffy. So like, so that's one tier. And then another tier is like, individuals that directly profit or directly are the fandom you know what I mean like Woody Allen would be an example Roman Polanski would be an example Louis C.K. would be an example Mm -hmm. and then I think another even another part of that is which I'm throwing a lot at at once is intent as well like it's one thing to make a piece of work or do something in your personal life that is a mistake or ignorance or you did it 15 years ago when you didn't know better even if you should have known better and now you've grown and you changed unfortunately the mistake you made was documented for mass consumption that's very different than like the louis ck's and the bill cosby's and stuff where their intent was malicious and harmful Mm -hmm. you know and had nothing to do with their art in some yeah. ways, in other ways, not so much. I could go on and on about Woody Allen and how he's constantly telling on himself in yeah. the work that he makes. Mm-hmm. But I think it's so complicated that you can't boil down cancel culture to one thing because it's a, it's an umbrella, it's a spectrum. It's not just yeah. am I looking good to others? And like you were saying, Rachel, like where am I putting my money? It's also what am I telling my friend next to me? who maybe was, I mean, you know, uh, content warning, like sexually assaulted that I'm still like loving Louis C.K. standup because he's so funny. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? I think also part of it is how are we being responsible to each other on not just a mass performative level, like in social media, but also to the people around us that whenever we engage in material, specifically when it's someone who is the fandom themselves and they're 
their behavior was intentionally malicious. Mm -hmm. How are we informing the other people in our lives who have been hurt or know someone who's been hurt or love someone who's been hurt when we minimize that because we love the quote unquote art so much? And because like, what is that art if it's harming people around you that you love? Who Like I'm, that's why I was like, I have a hard time separating because it's like, what is a movie to me what does the movie matter to me? Even if I love that movie at some point, if, if it's been, if it's, if it's harming someone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. It, yeah. I know this, I mean, this is a big topic and we're not going to be able to whittle this down to like one thing and probably not, you know, this is, this is really just a discussion because I think that's something that's missing from this overall umbrella is a lot of what I see, you know, when something blows up and becomes, uh, you know, whoever's gaff starts trending is a lot of people pointing fingers and yelling and not talking. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the, the, the biggest thing I wanted to, to hopefully have our listeners take from this is this is something that can be talked about. I mean, it is going to be very emotional, especially, you know, if you are somebody who maybe has suffered, you know, some sort of trauma, you know, a, a sexual assault or, or something, you know, has been, uh, you know, attacked because of their race or because of their sexual orientation or something. Um, and, you know, there's going to be that visceral emotional reaction that comes from that trauma um and and uh, un unfortunately your your trauma specialist is not here uh, uh but uh, i'm sure he would uh you know uh, uh probably uh, agree with that that yeah when somebody suffered a trauma there is going to be a part of them that that's they're going to have a reaction that stems from that um you know well, i, I well, and also, so we, I mean, all of us work with trauma because it's yeah. almost, you can't, you can't be in mental health and not, and not work with trauma, yeah, but yeah, and, that's I know, true. And, I, and I know you're not saying that. Yeah. I'm, like, that's not what I'm. Yeah. It's just, but, I know Ben, um, is, Ben has been doing a lot, a lot of work mm -hmm. with a uh, very specific. Yeah. Uh, trauma related yeah, things. So absolutely. And, and I think, and while I think um, some of what you're saying makes sense also at the same time, in terms of statistics, I mean, it's one in four women and one mm -hmm. in seven men. And those numbers are very on, it's more probably more likely that it's three out of four women and one out of four men. So it's also, and again, and not everybody would know that. Like, that's not something that I think everyone would know the statistics of because I learned that in grad school, mm -hmm. but that this is, these are big enough groups of people that it's hard for it not to touch someone that you love and care about. It really is. I mean, it just, and that this idea that these people are so talented that they're allowed to do whatever they want to mm -hmm. because they're so talented is so unfair because in the real world, we all have to live with the consequences of the decisions that we make because we don't have a gajillion dollars behind us, or we don't have <laughs> a business we don't have to pay taxes for. We don't have those things. Mm -hmm. So, so I feel like this, 
I guess, and, and at the same time, the way that we communicate with each other on social media is just, it's a whole, it's a completely different thing. Like it's, and it's been, you know, moving from one thing to another. And so that's also just a different, um, that's also just a different, the kind of the um, snowballing effect of all of these different things and how, I don't know, and how in some ways, if we don't start to ask for some sense of accountability somewhere, Mm -hmm. that will it ever start at all? Yeah. And like, I have a Disney Plus subscription because they have all the Marvel movies. Mm -hmm. And like, it's not like I don't, it's not like I don't give them, it's not like I don't give that money, but at the same, and at the same time, I'm also making sure to find other avenues and other places where I can give my money to people who are not the biggest conglomerate in the world or in the state (laughs) or country or whatever the heck they are. They're Mm -hmm. enormous. Like um, in order to balance, in order to bring some balance to the unevenness of what we're experiencing in terms of only getting stuff from one source. But I guess what you mean, Rachel, do you mean like, when someone gets like quote unquote in trouble like I know there was even like a recent thing with John Barrowman and when someone like gets in trouble and then all of social media kind of like dog piles on them yeah uh, that's one of the most recent ones that that I've I've seen where you know people I've seen you know conversations and people are just like blah you know blah 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 and yeah, occasionally you will see some person that'll be like, okay, here's some context or here's some more information and that you just get buried just because you've got so many people that are just, you know, as far as you can tell when you're looking at tweets, uh, you know, well, nothing's in caps locked, <laughs> you know, on all caps. So you're like, oh, this person's really upset, um, which is understandable. It, and actually, the John Barrowman, Noel Clark, I think, situation is, is maybe a good place to start um, because it is kind of on the, I'd hate to say, I don't know, I don't want to say smaller side, but not as, um, we're not getting into criminal territory, I guess, yet at the moment yeah. <laughs> compared to That's some of these others. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, because the the other examples I have are at least uh, as far as the bad end of the spectrum, we're getting into criminal uh, things. Um, so, uh, but yeah, the the John Barrowman, Noel Clark situation, where Noel Clark, for those who don't know, played Mickey on when Doctor Who came back. You know, uh, um, he played Rose's good for nothing boyfriend um yeah, who the doctor paraphrased and called mickey the idiot yes <laughs> mickey the idiot um was uh some accusations of him uh making uh you know inappropriate uh, advances and uh gestures and grabbing people not while he was on doctor who as, as far as uh as what has been been put out there it was i think after his time on doctor who because he was kind of not well known um but doctor who kind of shot him to you know more notoriety um you know he was in the the, one of the jj abrams star trek films i think um so that that came out and of course the doctor who fandom um and i think somewhat the 
CW Arrow fandom too, uh, because mm -hmm. of some comments that Stephen Amell has made at conventions is they're like, well, if you want to talk about troublesome people who have worked on Doctor Who, look at John Barrowman. Mm -hmm. And because John has, although this is not a secret, but John is very, very enthusiastic with mm -hmm. everybody. I've met John Barrowman yeah. and I, and you know, I, I'm happy to say that my experience with him was extremely pleasant. He was uh, well behaved, I guess. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I never felt uncomfortable with him. Um, again, I know that is not, that is my one experience and that does not mean that he's been perfectly behaved with everybody. Um, <clears throat> but, um, but John, even from the moment when he was on Doctor Who and apparently also sometimes uh, at least once while he was on Arrow, um, that he specifically had a habit of he, he likes to show off the goods uh, mm -hmm. to, to people. Well, you even do that on Torchwood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, I consider Torchwood part, part of Doctor Who. Doctor Who, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah so, sorry, yeah, anagram. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, it's working in the same production area. Mm. Uh, hello, Cardiff. That was something that John liked to do. From what I understand, the the people that experience, he never meant it as anything necessarily sexual. Like, hey, look at my junk. Want to get with me? It was more like, hey, look at my junk. I mean, aren't I? I a, aren't I crazy? Yeah. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. for pulling and my I, pants down. And I, I guess, oof. I mean, I think that is. It's not tricky in the sense of like it's obviously like inappropriate workplace yeah you're like yeah, no matter day, what yeah that's very inappropriate um, behavior and I think that's what's tricky when I've like listened to things where actors talk about the industry that there's so much intimacy in the industry in the sense that you are you know taking off your clothes you're in like faux relationships with people there's a lot of like sexual intimacy like you know it's put on for the show but it is I can definitely understand why it's a workplace that has a lot of blurred lines in the context of intimacy in that in that way. And I know that's why in um, nowadays they have intimacy coordinators on shows for these reasons to like set very strict boundaries around just because you guys are having a lovemaking scene doesn't mean that you can like touch each other however you want and act however you want I think with I think what's so hard about that specific example is one just because he acts like a whatever doesn't mean that people have to I think people get really caught up in losing something when it's like a fandom where someone in the fandom has misbehaved if you want to think of it like that mm -hmm. and like the Buffy thing, it can still belong to you as the fans. Like it's like the Harry Potter stuff. Like it, it belongs to the fandom now, though it does get Harry Potter's a little trickier because she still makes active money on everything you put towards it. But um, I think with the John Mary Barrymore stuff, I think that is a good example of what we used to think was not a big deal. But I bet you, if you really talked to people that experienced that back in the day, that they might have thought that was a big deal, mm -hmm. but the cultural is the culture around it was so normalized that 
that no one ever said anything or people go along with it. Like there's a lot of things that we look back and say, yeah, but like that wasn't such a big deal because X, Y, Z and everyone was doing it. And then you like talk to people. And I don't know. It's one of those things where it's so hard to really, you're never going to get to the bottom of it because there's so much normalization around that behavior. Like obviously not now, but back then there could have been, you know, and that doesn't mean that people still weren't impacted by it the way they would have be today if it happened to them it just wasn't talked about and Mm -hmm. so I think there's never going to be like I said the true story of that because it's all out of context now but I don't know where I'm going with the sentence but I think I would really like to know why he felt the need to do that you know and why he, it seemed like it was okay and what he thought was signed off on it. And is there a possibility that he could like apologize? And I don't know if he has already and come the other side of it. Sure. Um, and I think part of, this is more therapy related, part of taking accountability for your actions and asking for forgiveness is, is acknowledging that no one has to forgive you. Like if you really recognize that what you did was despicable or hurtful or wrong, to people in your life and you go to them earnestly, even if you're on your knees, earnestly done the work, heart open on actually the more that you do that work, earnestly, heart open, the more you understand that the people you're apologizing to owe you nothing. And if they still want to go tell you to screw yourself and they never want to see you again, you have to, that's also part of the accountability is you have to acknowledge that, that you have to reckon with the rest of your life with the mistakes that you've made. I mean, that's a big part Mm -hmm. of like substance use recovery is I, I come to people on my hands and knees and, and, and ask for their forgiveness. And I have to be humble in the fact that they might never forgive me. And that's on me. They don't, you don't, you don't forgive. I mean, you don't ask for forgiveness so that you can move on and get back to being like everybody's favorite. That was a very long answer. <laughs> no, no, that, that, that's yeah, and, yeah. Oh, and just and just one other uh, piece of this is that he may he may not have meant it as anything sexual. That doesn't mean that people didn't take it that way. True. Yes, and that, that certainly right. doesn't True. mean that he didn't traumatize people. Yeah, and and that and just and also uh, another way that what he's what the story is, and I don't really I'm hearing this the first time from you all because I been away from the news for quite uh the last two months um but even the idea that then he then he attached i'm i'm crazy that's why i'm doing this like even that is an insult in terms of people who struggle with mental health so like and i and i don't know if he said that or if you were just paraphrasing the way that it they're talking about yeah i was just paraphrasing yeah yeah but just in general like that's that's not, you know, that's not fair to a whole other set of people. And I feel, and, and this idea that that's not what they meant. That's not for them yeah. to say, mm-hmm. because it's how it's perceived to everyone else. Mm-hmm. Like it, like I would take something differently than Brittany would take it. And so-and-so would take it differently. Like he could mean that could mean hello for him. <laughs> and his, and like, let's just like, that could mean that that's how he says hello. That doesn't mean that it's being perceived that way. Yeah. And so the unfairness of, of doing that and the, and, and forcing, and forcing parts of yourself on other people that 
you aren't, that's not okay to do that. That's not consensual. That's not. And again, realizing that whenever, you know, when this was made, however long ago it was that there was clearly (laughs) a lot of acceptance of sexual assault and sexual uh, harassment. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that was being, um, considered acceptable and, and normalized in Hollywood in general. So we know that. And we know that in a lot of ways, it feels like we're only finding out about things because of social media or because people have finally had enough, but that there's still so many other things that they still aren't, you know, like they're not, no one is walking up and opening up their whole book of, well, these, this is actually all of the things that we have. Like we're only finding out about them because they're, because somebody is picking it up and it's getting popular in the news. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure the stories, you know, go all the way back to the first film that was ever made because women weren't allowed to vote then. I don't know. I'm just <laughs> yeah. saying like, I'm, I like I'm, I'm, me with time today has not been good. So I can't give any guesses about that. But just like, there's also, it's also hard because people aren't being, um, uh, will be, and I think in part because they can't be honest with themselves, mm-hmm. which is something that we see in terms of people coming in, you know, people come in and they sometimes they aren't ready to hear um, the feedback that we have for them as therapists, because sometimes there's a story that they've been telling themselves in order to survive that they can't be honest with themselves either. And that, and that could, and that could be, honestly, that could be the case in some of this as well. But I think, I, I guess, and maybe this is more of a cultural shift um, with the Me Too stuff as well, that letting, um, not letting, just making sure that we aren't excluding everyone else for this one person who decided to do something that nobody else was doing. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, this is a, is a fairly new thing that's going on that I think it's still ongoing. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with as far as the, the accusations mm-hmm. against Noel. Um, I believe that he has made some sort of a Apology. I haven't read it, so I, I don't know exactly what it says. And I, and I know John Barrowman, at the time when he was on Doctor Who and Torchwood, he did get reprimanded. And mm. at that time, was, you know, he's like, oh, you know, sorry, and didn't do it again. Um, but then apparently on his time on Arrow, he didn't necessarily do the same thing, but he did something that has stuck with Stephen Amell, uh, even after all this time. Um, <clears throat> I don't know enough about that to 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 go into it, well, but uh, I, I don't. Mean, with with time, John mm-hmm. has changed his way that he interacts with the fans. Like, if you look at like pictures of him with fans, especially like the professional photo ops from like ten years ago, and there's a lot of him. You know, these are consensual because people are you know, asking to do these poses, but he's grabbing butts or you know, doing that sort of thing. But now he's stopped doing that, even if people ask whether it, even if it is consensual. That's what's so funny about it. And I think that's where like the gone, it's like the gone with the wind argument is like, that is this, what's so funny is he's, he's making a decision mindfully in an area in which it is ironically consensual. Like should it be mm-hmm. grabbing fans, butts, whatever. But if they're literally saying, Hey, would you grab my butt? 
And he's saying, yeah, sure. That is like a true consensual act. And so the fact that like, that's where he's changed, like, you know what I mean? It's just so interesting what people do. People, people overcorrect, overcorrect because they're not really, and like you could say it's about HBO Max, Disney, whatever, is they're not being mindful. It's not, there's like, they're not being intentional and thoughtful. I think this is what you're meaning in the beginning too, Rachel, about having discussions around this. Mm-hmm. Like people overcorrect out of panic and consumer driven energy and that kind of thing. And, and there's not really, and even with like the mob culture that sometimes cultivates when someone makes a mistake or actually does something vile. And so there's no people overcorrect instead of really being thoughtful about what is the next step. Cause that's a big part of therapy is I've done, I've made mistakes. I've messed up. And so now I'm going to think of what is the best intentional next step in this process. And I think internet, social media culture, it does make things happen so quickly that we're not really thinking. We're just kind of, we're in our emotion mind is what we would say in therapy. Mm -hmm. And we're kind of reacting and, and also performativism, you know, trying to be on the right side, quote unquote, of the story. I'm not going to, uh, you know, try and pass judgment or, or anything here because it this still is it, it's an on, it's an ongoing thing but it is uh, a current so it is uh, on the forefront of, of some people's uh, minds um, but um, I, I think from that we're going to to step into some of these these bigger uh, case studies uh, see the best word I could come up with for these um, so I've got four here um i've got two examples of some you know a, a celebrity these are all sp- celebrity specific but they're i've got two where the celebrity has screwed up but has been able to redeem themselves and they're back in in you know i guess the popular opinions good good phrases, phrases. <laughs> um yes thank you i mm-hmm. words <laughs> I've got them up here. I just, they don't want to come out sometimes. Um, yeah. So to, as, as examples of, yeah, you could, you could screw up, you know, we're all human. People are going to make mistakes, but if you do the work and like, you know, BB and, and Hannah were talking about, you know, if you're willing to, to do the work, recognize your mistakes ask for forgiveness, knowing that you're not necessarily going to get it, but, um, but you can recover, I guess. Um, Cause sometimes it feels, I think sometimes it feels like, oh, you know, I screwed up this person's kid, you know, somebody does something like, oh, they're canceled. And then it's like, I think a lot of the times just the, the hive mind, the internet hive mind forgets within a week cause somebody else does something. But every now and then <laughs> you will get somebody that, does seemingly get canceled but it manages to to emerge from the the ashes like a phoenix um and then we've got a couple where yeah uh (laughs) there's it's not looking good for these people um so um i think we're going to (laughs) so that we end on a high note uh <laughs> preferably uh we're gonna start in the bad i guess here uh with and he's already and he's been mentioned already kevin spacey 
Um, he can kick rocks. That's yeah. my personal opinion. <laughs> he can kick rocks and yeah. go to whatever villa he lives on, probably in some <laughs> Italian town. Probably has enough money that he could swim in like Scrooge McDuck. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> so, so a little bit of background for those that maybe don't pay attention because they don't. Oh, they're like Hollywood, whatever. I don't care. Um, but uh, so Kevin Spacey actor uh has been has been acting since the the 80s um won his won a uh, tony award in 1991 um and then won an oscar for best supporting actor for his role as verbal kent in brian singer's film usual suspects um his um he even said in a, in a uh, 2013 interview with Entertainment Weekly, and again, content warning, because he has kind of made himself known as an actor playing bad guys. Um, you know, not to <laughs> spoil usual suspects, but he, he plays a criminal. Um, you know, he's John, he's, uh, John Doe in Seven. Um, his character in American Beauty really is a... Is a piece of shit really um so he's made a name for himself uh, playing bad guys so it, in an inner in a this quote from entertainment weekly from 2013 he said quote i think people just like me evil for some reason they want me to be a son of a bitch which i thought was very telling <laughs> reading <Yeah>. that <laughs> to be honest with you <laughs> so um so that was in 2013, 2017, October 2017, um, an actor by the name of Anthony Rapp um, released a statement uh, alleging that Spacey, um, while at a party back in 1986 when Rapp was 14 and Spacey was 26, while uh, Spacey appeared to be intoxicated, he um, made sexual advances towards Rap, um, who at the time was a minor. Um, and Rap had actually shared this story back in 2001 in an interview he did with The Advocate, but at the time they redacted Spacey's name from the publication to avoid legal disputes Ew. and outing Spacey. Ugh. Um, the same day that is what? Yeah, yeah. The same day that uh, Rap's allegations were made public, uh, we released his statement. Um, whether he had a heads up or he was just really fast uh, at, at putting up a response, but uh, Spacey released uh, an apology. As far as a lot of the a lot of the LGBTQ community was concerned, was nothing even close to an apology and really hated the fact that he used his quote-unquote apology as his coming out i heard about that like um i think i just read something about zachary quinto where i think part of his motivation to come out publicly as a gay man was in reaction to kevin spacey using this as an opportunity to almost like align his behavior with being a gay man yeah, yeah. Instead of being a predator, which is what he is, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and that's what a lot of the of the the prominent members, you know, people like George Kai and and the, you know, the well known celebrities who are openly out, um, had felt that that Spacey's 
apology and coming out was really just an opportunity to divert attention away from the fact that you know this guy was like yeah spacey tried to like molest me when i was 14 and um set and 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 he immediately or pretty much immediately was fired from house of cards the show he would been doing on on netflix um which according to the people in charge they were planning on ending it after the next season anyway uh, so they just changed it so that they killed off his character frank underwood in the last <laughs> season um, and were able to finish it uh you know without him um and yeah he got removed from all the money in the world uh the, the film that uh, he had they was finished um but then they ended up reshooting uh all of his scenes that he was in with uh, Chris, uh christopher Plummer, who ended up getting an oscar nomination for that role yeah, <laughs> for doing did, that yeah. so <laughs> Poetic justice. <laughs> yes, I think so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, uh, so since then, Spacey's been kind of on the down low, uh, has not really made anything, although apparently he is getting work now. Once uh, a year, he comes out with a weird Christmas video. Yes. He sometimes identifies himself as Frank Underwood. He's like a little troll demon devil that just comes out of the woodwork as soon as everyone forgets that he exists like a creepy uncle tapping on your shoulder and is like don't forget i'm still right here yeah a lot of money <laughs> it's like so bizarre yeah yeah the one of the first he posted was on christmas eve in 2018 yes. In character as, as Frank Underwood, he said, I can promise, I'm quoting this, I can promise you this, if I didn't pay the price for the things we both know I did do, I'm certainly not going to pay the price for the things I didn't do. What does that even mean? I don't know. Uh, don't. He's like <laughs> the Babadook or something. <laughs> not to be light about someone who's done horrible, horrendous things, but. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's almost like, well, you know, if I'm not getting in trouble for the things I did, then the things that, as far as I'm concerned, I didn't do, I'm not going to get in trouble for either, I think is what, what he's trying to say. I, well, I think it's like <laughs> these little quirky, weird things that he's doing post allegations. Yeah. I feel like that's the thing that really makes me feel like he does not deserve what we would call redemption culture. Mm -hmm. which is something I've heard about. And I do feel invested in the idea of redemption culture because he clearly is one acting as if this is eccentricity or that he's quirky or that this isn't a big deal. Mm -hmm. And also clearly wants just attention and yeah. can't stand that he doesn't have it. Like he's reveling of, of like creeping people out, or at least he's not learning quote unquote his lesson. Like he's someone who I feel like and obviously that he's still trying to get work and and I think he did something about like he did something in Italy about like basically cancel culture I think in a farcical way like he is behaving as someone who has no care mm -mm, no about remorse. what's happened he has no remorse it's a good word for it, Hannah mm -hmm. and therefore I think that is even if he hadn't done something as as abhorrent as he has that his reaction to it i think is enough to quote unquote cancel him mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah 
because he shows because as because he's showing that he not only does he not understand the harm that he caused he's also not willing to understand it uh-huh. yeah like he's just gonna he just like i feel like white men do i'm just gonna say it they just think <laughs> we're gonna forget about it and let him Keep come on. back and let mm-hmm. him come back and that's just not that's just not going to happen yeah or rub our face in aren't i cute let's forget this and move along mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah exactly exactly he can't kill his ego which is what mm-hmm. i when we were talking before about forgiveness and humility with forgiveness or asking for forgiveness is like you have to experience like an ego death you have to fully acknowledge that you are never going to be the person you were before even if you get redeemed and you are apologetic and reformed and all those terms you're never going to be the kevin spacey who did cute interviews of johnny carson on late night shows like that version of you is dead mm-hmm and that public perception of you is dead. And I think what feels so kind of pathetic and unforgivable about him, and I would say Louis C.K. as well, not to jump yeah. into another possible case study, is that they can't acknowledge that either. For for what it's worth, it's it's this is still ongoing um, uh, because uh, September of last year, rap uh, did sue. Spacey for sexual assault, sexual battery, and intentional infliction of emotional distress. Um, but that that case is still ongoing. So whether Spacey will get his day in court and have to to face things head on is to be determined at this point. Because uh, you know, if, if there's one thing I've learned from a lot of this research is the justice system is really really slow yes <laughs> yes and certainly yeah. does not help with a lot of these more severe cases where you know it, whether the the system is just slow or unfortunately in a lot it seems to be in a lot of cases in the united states um sexual assault in a lot of places has a statute of limitations on it which is something that needs to definitely be reformed. Yes. You know, if you don't come out with something until you're an adult because you didn't have the power to do so before, that person shouldn't get off because you were a child when it happened to you. Yeah. Yeah. Or even if you were an adult and, you know, you just weren't mentally in a place where, yeah. you know, you, you needed to go to therapy and, you know, get the tools to be able to press charges and possibly have to face, you know, the person you're you know you're who assaulted you and that sort of thing um so yeah it should there should not be a statute of limitations on things like that it should it, it should you should be able to yeah. um seek justice yeah. for that yes. when you know whenever we'll see what happens with kevin spacey uh I mean, it's it will be hard to say because also he's again the justice system is also racist. So he's a white male with a lot of money. So who knows what's going to happen? Like mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like it's going to take forever for something like this. But if you're picking up a person of color for something much less serious, they'll get processed and get put in prison with. Mm-hmm. Which is like so like yeah. Which is why sometimes we do need the people poo poo it. We do need sometimes the court of public opinion 
because mm-hmm. he'll probably, I mean, he'll probably never, he'll never get tried in the just, I don't think he'll ever be criminally charged, really harmed in the justice system, like consequences in the justice system. And so the true, I think the only true justice will be the court of public opinion for Kevin mm-hmm. Spacey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Cause at this point, what rap is suing him for i don't know if this is necessarily criminal or if this is um more monetary um mm-hmm. you know like with oj simpson you mm-hmm. know where you know he, he was yeah. the criminal trial he was found innocent but you know they were able to sue him for monetary damages and he was found guilty for that so he just mm-hmm. made a big paycheck you know out to somebody in walked away and he does not have you know murderer on his <laughs> criminal record yeah. uh, so uh so we'll see we'll, we'll see with that um on the other hand someone who actually has been through the judicial system and is currently in jail is bill cosby rightly so yeah mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so which uh you know, I think everybody knows Bill Cosby from something. Uh, you know, he he's he had a long career starting in the early '60s after he dropped out of college, um, doing comedy. He released his first comedy album in 1964, um, and immediately became very um, well known as a comedian and especially as a Again, I'm doing air quotes. You can't say quote unquote clean comedian because mm-hmm. in the sixties and seventies, if you listen to like Richard Pryor and George Carlin and ooh, even like ooh, Robin yeah. Williams, they are dirty comics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they got some dirty, dirty mouths. Yeah. Uh, well, George Carlin, the seven words you can't say on TV. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so uh Cosby actually became well known for being kind of the clean comic he told a lot of stories about his childhood um which even the his young fans could relate to you know talking about having to share a room with his brother uh you know and that sort of thing um and he never really brought up color you know if he talked about his life experiences it really was not from the perspective of this happened to me because i'm a black man it was this just happened to me because I'm a human being. And mm-hmm. um, he uh, was, people brought that up a lot in like interviews and stuff. Um, and I'll uh, do a quote here from a book uh, written by Ronald L. Smith that came out in 1997 uh, called Cosby. Uh, <laughs> imagine that. Um, where after being asked for probably the billionth time, why don't you do jokes about being black? Um, he said, quote, I'm tired of these old jokes about stereotype Negroes. You know what I mean? I don't miss Amos and Andy. Second, I'm tired of the, those people who say, you should be doing more to help your people. I'm a comedian, that's all. Third, my humor comes from the way I look at things. I'm a man. I see things the way other people do. A white person listens to my act and he laughs and he thinks, yeah, that's the way I see it too. Okay. He's white. I'm Negro. And we both see things the same way. That must mean that we're alike, right? So I figure this way, I'm doing as much for, for good race relations as the next guy. So that makes him seem nice, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, I think it makes him seem appetiz- like appetizing yes. to white cult, to, to 
mainstream media. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and of course, you know, went on to do the Cosby show and, you know, Fat Albert and lots of Jello ads. Uh, <laughs> um, so, um, but underlying, simmering since actually the 60s, the mid 60s, has been this trail that he's left behind of lots of women who mm-hmm. he has done very despicable things to uh, and for whatever reason people just let it slide it's kind of like the Weinstein thing you know mm-hmm. where it's like everybody just knew he did it but it's like but he's so successful so we're just gonna let it slide um, and I think also probably because you know as Cosby got up there in years it's like oh you know he's in his 70s and he's, he's you know he's he's an old mm-hmm. man you know what are we gonna do um, but um, it, it, everything kind of boiled over and came to a head in October 2014 um, when an offhanded co- comment in a stand-up set by the comic Hannibal Burris went viral um, and it caused people to look into what exactly he was referencing and people started digging up all of these allegations that had been made against Cosby. And as of a article on Slate, which was last updated in April, 2018, um, uh, about the time that he had his second trial, the list of accusers uh, with incidents from 1965 to 2008 was 58 wow women yeah <laughs> 58 and that's just the people that are willing to speak up yeah and those are also the people who survived yes yeah because that's something like what he did to people would be something that would could lead to all different kinds of internalized mental health struggles mm-hmm. um in terms of you know living their life uh, in the way that in a, in a, in the best way for them. I think Bill Cosby raises a good, I think people have such a hard time. I think he's definitely the very end of the spectrum in terms of, I don't think anyone can really argue with the despicableness of what he did and that he deserves yeah. to be where he is. Yeah. I think what people reckon with in terms of the cancel culture of it all is what to do with his legacy and his importance uh-huh. within comedy, the black community And I think, and that's why people struggled, I think, to accept all this when it came out initially, and maybe why people struggled to accept it when they heard Little Whisperings. You know, I think a big part of why he got away with it for so long is because it's so heartbreaking when someone that you admire and revere, and that is also a prominent figure within your community, is possibly doing something truly evil and disgusting. And so... I think we we do a lot of we do a lot of mental gymnastics culturally, like um, and because we we have a lot of really strong cognitive dissonance, especially with someone like him who mm-hmm. probably very purposely, probably similar to Kevin Spacey, crafted an image that protected him from his private life, and let, lets him get away with it. And I think something we don't talk about enough with cancel culture, which I think is important, perhaps, is that you're allowed to grieve and have true, true sadness for the things that you love that have now been ruined 
by this person. Mm-hmm. And I think something where, when I get really upset about cancel culture or when something gets canceled culturally is that I don't get mad that culture has taken this from me because it's not PC. I get angry with the person, usually a man, who has ruined this thing I love. You know, okay. I usually the first thing I think, and I usually scream into Ada, into Hannah's face in some context is like, I can't like anything because men ruin everything. <laughs> like I get really upset and, but I'm not blaming culture for that. I'm blaming the person who chose to devastate and ruin something beloved. And so I think we don't give enough space for the heartbreak. I think that comes from losing a part of our identity that culture can be for us. You know, culture is everything in a lot of ways. And so I think with Bill Cosby, what was really heartbreaking about him for a lot of people and why they struggle to accept it, and I think do want to redeem him, perhaps people do, is because they want the they want what he represented. And you either have to just grieve that and say goodbye to it, or realize that he isn't the end all and be all of the culture that you loved. You can still find something beloved to you that doesn't have to do with him. I think we get too attached to a celebrity in his context with um, what we got from them mm-hmm. sometimes. Does that mean that you should still watch the Cosby show? I don't know how you could. I don't think I could, but you know, I think that's something we don't necessarily speak on enough. I think we want to say like, oh, well, screw this guy and screw everything he made and screw everybody who still loves him. I do think we could probably make more room for the heartbreak of the because the people that loved what he represented like they're victims too I mean to a much much lesser extent but they are victims too of the choices that he made and so I do wish cancel culture would veer less away from culture ruining the good time to really saying like no this guy ruined the good time Joss Whedon ruined the good time Army Hammer Mm -hmm. ruined the good time culture didn't ruin the good time these Mm -hmm. guys did yeah 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 and and I you know, I don't want any of our listeners to, to you know, think that we're like <laughs> taking this as an opportunity to, uh, uh, you know, drag a, a, a bunch of men <laughs> to, because, yeah, but it does seem like proportionally, it does seem to be men who do these things. Um, and, um, you know, as, as all of us here as, as, you know, female identifying people um i think maybe there's a it uh again we're going to to react um and and have feelings about about these things um you know even the kevin spacey thing even though his i think the last list i found was 15 accusers as of 2017 um but they're all men or boys um Mm -hmm. but you know, it, do, it doesn't matter, men, women, a lot of what we're talking about still applies um, regardless. Um, so just as a quick aside there. Um, but um, yeah, and uh, going back to, to Bill Cosby. Um, yeah, so the, the list of accusers goes up to, to 2008. Um, so you know, if anyone was like, oh, he's an old man, uh, apparently being an old man didn't matter. 
um, <laughs> getting up there in age. Um, and um, and uh, what we'll get into the, the more current criminal proceedings, but he actually was called in to do a deposition in 2005. And actually in that deposition, he actually did admit to getting prescriptions for quaaludes uh -huh. to give to yep. women that he wanted uh -huh. to have sex with. He, it showed a distinct pattern of behavior. Like, yeah. really, truly, <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, the Golden sure. State Killer is also an old man now. Are we going to be like, oh, yeah, but you're old. Yeah, yeah well, you weren't old when things were happening, bro. Exactly, and uh, you yeah. and you made those choices, and you yeah. know you made those choices. And this isn't, this isn't like a. Well, I only did it one time. It doesn't matter if you only did it one time. Mm -hmm. That's not. This is not okay. This is not acceptable. And it's a part of. I think a bigger part of what we experience as as what I experience as a woman of the patriarchy in general, that seeing women as things that they can do whatever they want with. Um, is also a part of the, you know, that the part of the problem in terms of how things like this get covered up for, I mean, 30 years or whatever, like it's, and it's based on that, you know, we put that one belief, well, what can you believe the woman? Absolutely. Every single, uh -huh. every single one of us, you can believe every single one of us. Uh -huh. And the fact that that you know, that that created, and in some ways, you know, definitely uh, created an impact in terms of things like this being, being reported or being handled appropriately by, uh, by the Justice Department, mm -hmm. let alone the police departments. Yeah, so um, the, eventually the Justice Department did get involved, um, and uh, he went to trial um, in the summer of 2017, uh, Commonwealth of Pennsylvania versus William H. Cosby Jr. Uh, he was charged with three counts of aggravated indecent assault. Um, and un unfortunately, the jury was not able to reach any sort of agreement as far as uh, guilty or not. So they had to declare a mistrial um, so a second trial, uh, was, uh, done in April of 2018, um, Cosby's team at that point requested a new attorney for him, um, and that request was granted, so he ended up getting, uh, Thomas, uh, Meserau, who happened to be the lead attorney in the 2005 acquittal at Michael Jackson's child molestation trial. Coincidence, I think not. Uh -uh. So on, it didn't matter though, because on April 26, 2018, Cosby was found guilty of all three felony counts of aggravated indecent assault. Um, in September, he was sentenced to three to 10 years in prison. Um, so uh, it, so in, in 2021, this year would have been, three years. Um, so he could have potentially been up for parole. Um, he petitioned for parole and was denied. Um, according to the parole board, um, his parole would not even be considered until he takes and completes a sexually violent treatment program 
and develops a parole release plan. Um, but according to Cosby, he says he will never take the class as it makes him look guilty. Well, good. Then I'll keep him behind bars until he's <laughs> dead. Oh. Yeah. Or at least for seven more years. Uh, it's like, you've already been found guilty. <laughs> yeah. People, it's that ego death. It, people, yeah. people, especially men in power, cannot, they need to experience an ego death. True humility is just people i mean like in therapy is, is that like really pride. a man is that really a, a a man thing i mean i'm sure there probably I, are women too but why well, why is it that it, it's because they've been in to... power they've been in power all this time well, also How because they like this yeah. is a whole nother soapbox you guys don't need me on but yeah. <laughs> we talk in our podcast about like the patriarchy and toxic masculinity and how it hurts us all including men and i think it does create an expectation that if you ever um, admit that you're wrong, admit that you're fallible, admit that you goofed up or whatever, however you want to think it, that you're weak, you have to kind of ride this line of pride until it almost, until it sometimes kills you. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we encounter that a lot in therapy. I mean, definitely I've encountered women who are experienced a lot of pride, but that's it. But I, you know, I would argue that's also part of wanting to align yourself with strength and the idea that strength comes from never admitting that you're wrong. And so I think that's, so it, it's more conditioned in men. And I think it definitely shows up in women who want to be strong the way that quote unquote men are strong. I don't think we think about it that consciously. I think it's, you know, on the lower level of our brain waves, but, yeah. um, but I think that's where the pride comes from. And people got a lot of pride. I mean, as a therapist, you encounter a lot of pride that shoots people in the foot in all different kinds of ways and it keeps them stuck i mean in this situation with this disgusting old man named bill cosby it's it's keeping him stuck in jail like it's so stupid i mean that's what you're reacting to rachel is how really stupid it is when you get down to the bottom line but it's so people will die by pride it's it is once you're on the other side of pride it's wild to look back on it to look back at it and be like woof like people really stick their feet in the ground because it's vulnerable it's vulnerable to be wrong it's vulnerable to because then it's just vulnerable to admit that you're wrong and to really look at yourself and then to then have to the next step to that is asking for forgiveness and that's extraordinarily vulnerable mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't sound like Cosby's going to be asking for forgiveness for anytime soon you know and even if he does live long enough to to you know to to be released you know just because he's served his time because it's three to ten years you know he's gonna have because he was convicted he's gonna have that label of convicted Uh sexual you know predator Mm -hmm. on on you know next to his name so yeah he's gonna have to live with that oh all right Uh, let's move on to let's 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 move on to some happier (laughs) some happier case studies um and you know these aren't necessarily uh proportionate as far as the the ones we just discussed as far as the transgressions but i still think that there's something to be gained um Uh from, from this from from these um and um you know hopefully uh people uh, you know, can take, take from it, whatever they will, I guess. 
Um, but let's start with uh, James Gunn, um, mm-hmm. who got canceled, <laughs> literally <Yep. laughs> got mm-hmm. canceled yep. and <laughs> managed to come back. Uh, so yeah, James Gunn, I think we're, most people know know his name, um, you know, big name director now. Um, you know, he, he as, a, as a kid, he was, uh, you know, because he was born in the, in the mid to late 60s. So he grew up with uh, films like Night of the Living Dead and Friday the 13th. Those were his favorites. So he, he loved the fact that they were able to make such compelling movies for such a cheap amount of money. <laughs> that was like the thing he took away from these movies as a kid. <laughs> like, oh, look what they can do with like $5. Um, so he started making his own movies uh, at the age of 12 with an eight millimeter camera making zombie movies in the yard with his brothers. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, which I guess in a way makes sense that in 1995, he started working at Troma. Uh-huh. Uh, which it, I think most people at least have heard the name Tromo. They've probably heard of the Toxic uh-huh. Avenger. Avenger, yep. They are a low-budget, just B-movie factory of uh-huh. just making B and probably C-level <laughs> movie yeah a <laughs> lot of horror a lot of tna uh, you know, uh-huh. so um you know it's it's a very specific genre of yeah. uh, type of movies but they're they're very prevalent um as far as their yeah. production i mean i talked i lloyd coffin he was at popcon several years ago i've got an interview with lloyd uh you can go back and listen to that it's like 10 minutes long and I had to censor him so many times. <laughs> so, uh, but he's a nice guy. Uh, just he's a he's an old man who has no filter. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, we're talking back in the early to mid '90s. You could catch most of the trauma movies late on Friday, Saturday nights on the USA Network. <laughs> yes. But nowadays, they're all just online. You can watch them for free. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, in 95, Gunn started working at Trauma. He worked, you know, right next with Lloyd Kaufman, who taught him everything he needed to know about filmmaking, you know, how to write screenplays, scout locations, direct, distribute films, even create poster art. Um, so, you know, once he got that kind of tool, you know, learned all those things at Troma, um, he was able to go on to make his first feature film directorial debut with the horror comedy movie, Slither. Um, so he became a bit more well-known with that, but he really jetted to really mainstream when he wrote and directed the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie, which we all know is part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe that was released in 2014, which you can go back and listen to my weird review of that because at the time I was trying to avoid spoilers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm trying to explain Guardians of the Galaxy to the rest of the ladies. <laughs> ladies. <laughs> like, 
kind of hard to do. Guardians of the Galaxy, kind of hard to explain without visuals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that really shot him mainstream. And of course, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, just as successful as the first one. Um, but then July of 2018, um, in... Uh, I know we try not to get political on this, but this it, it because of context, it, I will, you know, had, politics kind of comes into this. Um, but Gunn had at the time was very active on Twitter and uh, very openly critical of the then president and administration. And uh, from what I understand, it was a I think a bot uh, used by someone who disagreed with Gunn's criticisms and dug up some tweets of his from about 2008 to 2012, which uh -huh. contains some pretty cringy content. And uh, Gunn had actually already, they had been kind of dug up once before and Gunn had already apologized. Um, but these went viral once they got dug up and just went all over the place. And uh, because he was working in the MCU, that meant he was working with the House of Mouse and yep. Disney uh, decided that the best thing to do was to immediately fire Gunn and essentially put Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 far on, on the back hold. burner. Yeah, on, definite, yeah. on indefinite hold and any other work that he was going to do with the larger cosmic universe that was going to be part of the MCU. Um, so uh, that was Disney's immediate response. Um, Gunn, on the other, you know, immediately responded with an apology, which Kevin Spacey could have taken a cue from James Gunn's apology because his apology is a legit apology. He doesn't uh -huh. try to explain himself. He doesn't try to, you know, uh, you know, wave his hand at, you know, you know, the, you know, try to give any sort of explanation to, to why, uh, to try to explain it away. He just said, yes, I did these things. I feel awful about it. I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, uh -huh. it was just a re—it was a really good apology because it seemed very heartfelt, and he was not—you know—he owned up to it. He immediately was like, "Yes, I did these things. You know, I can't explain it away. It's just something that I did. It was stupid. I'm sorry. I'm again. Uh -huh. I'm paraphrasing. You can go read his 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 posts online, um, and." Um, you know, immediately, um, his, actually his firing from Disney was immediately criticized by a lot of people, uh, uh -huh. people in the entertainment industry, journalists, media outlets, including pretty much everybody in the MCU, especially the Guardians of the Galaxy cast, you know, Chris Pratt. Zoe Sedano, all of them were just Batista like, was ready to walk. Yeah, but, yeah, Batista was ready to quit. He's like, I'm, you know, if y'all... I'm not doing this without him. So, um, you know, there was a petition out there that got like 400,000 signatures, you know, and um, Disney uh, the smartly 
um, after several discussions, apparently with Gunn, uh, with some of the higher ups at Disney in March of 2019, so less than a year later, Gunn's reinstated, um, which, you know, at the, by that point, he'd already been hired by w, yeah, WB and DC to do the new Suicide Squad. So they're like, okay, well, you're back. You can do Guardians 3. We'll rearrange the schedule. So, you know, mm -hmm. he'll essentially get to pick up where he left off, which is, which is great. Um, but this is one of those instances where I was like, I immediately was on Gunn's side. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, he is it's something that had already been brought up once before. He had acknowledged it. He had apologized for it. Has proven to himself that he has grown as a person, and is not the same twenty-something who, you know, learned the ropes of being a professional filmmaker. From no offense to Lloyd Kaufman, but trauma is probably not the. I don't want to say healthiest, but most PC place to learn how to be mm -hmm. professional. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> so, yeah, because you know, th that's kind of Troma's thing is it, they're, they're, they're crappy movies. They're B, you know, they're B and C grade movies, but they do push the envelope as far as mm -hmm. taste is concerned. Um, and, um, you know, me personally, I I was I was with the rest. You know, I was with Batista. I was with the rest of them. I'm like, I I'm not condoning what jo what what Gunn said in these tweets, but he has proven since then that he has become a, a better person and understands what he did. Um, so, I mean, I think critically, how I would look at the James Gunn situation is that we do have to be mindful of how we cast everything under one big umbrella, like cancel mm -hmm. culture as a monolith, because it will make it lose less meaning. You know, if we're going to put inappropriate tweets from 10 years ago that you made when you were a dumber person who should have known better about putting stuff on social media. Um, you know, if we're going to put that in the same bag as Kevin Spacey and Bill Cosby, like, cancel culture, the concept of it, accountability, does lose meaning mm -hmm. and it allows people to write it off in situations where it is needed. And so I think with the James Gunn thing is a good example of overcorrecting because we, we want to be on the correct side. You know, there is not really a side, really, when you think about it. Mm -hmm. And... And it did seem like he chose the humble path, which is good. And it didn't seem like he went about it to get his job back. You know, um, it seemed like he took the hit as elegantly as you can and just moved along. Mm -hmm. And I think you're right in the terms of when we talk about like humility with asking for forgiveness is you don't try to explain it or excuse it. You just say like, yep, I did it. And it is, was inappropriate and hurt, hurtful. And, and I think it's such a different thing than what we've already been talking about that I do, it does make me not anxious. I'm not anxious, but we just have to be mindful that we don't put everything under one umbrella so that people can dis disregard accountability 
in all forms. You know, it's like when you water something down, it, it just, it becomes, it just loses meaning. Mm-hmm. And so I think yeah. that's where I get like concerned about situations like James Gunn is that we have to be more intentional about why we're canceling somebody. If that's what we're choosing to do culturally, we have to make room for redemption in cases when it is appropriate. You know what I mean? Like, cause we have to make room for people to make mistakes. I mean, a big part of like, people can't see me, but I'm a white person and a big part of growing, you know, in accountability and in, in placing yourself within systems of power is giving space for people to make mistakes in their growth, to acknowledge their past indiscretions. If they're, if they're to a certain degree, obviously, like it depends on what the discretion is, but, and to move past it. And if there, if there's, if there's sincere growth mm-hmm. and humility and forgiveness attached. And so I think it seems like he's a good example of that part of it and that we do have to make space for people to find redemption if they are, I guess, worthy of it, which is a pretty hardcore, like judgmental term, but like if the, it's like the punishment fits the crime kind of thing, you know, and we don't have to strike everyone from existence (laughs) because they did something socially inappropriate, Mm -hmm. you know, because there's, that's a big, big, big spectrum. Yeah, absolutely. The last one that I want to bring up, um, is uh honestly if in my opinion the poster child of canceled and rose from the ashes uh is robert downey jr hi everyone rachel from the future here editing this episode (laughs) um quick uh thing that i wanted to add um because i discovered this after the uh, fact after we recorded this, but um, if you would like to go listen to, and I recommend listening to uh, the podcast Behind the Bastards and specifically um, his part one of his episode about Synanon, which is a drug rehab program. Um, you don't have to listen to the whole thing if you don't want to. It, uh, it's not necessarily rele- all relevant to this, but at the beginning, uh, before he gets into the, the specifically about Synanon, he does talk about the history of public perception of alcohol and drug use and substance abuse. Um, and I found that really interesting and um, kind of emphasizes or at least help support the point that I was trying to make about Robert Downey Jr. specifically while, yes, his drug use and the things that came from that um, are not intentionally malicious because addiction is an illness, unlike, um, you know, the predatory um, activities of like Kevin Spacey or Bill Cosby. Um, at one point, addiction to things like alcohol and drugs was considered a moral issue and a moral failure. Um, that's before we realized that uh, it was really a, a medical issue um, before science and, and medicine got there. Um, and I, I think that is a really interesting addition to 
the conversation when you're thinking about someone like Robert Downey Jr., who suffered from addiction, and if he had been in the same situation a hundred years ago, then he probably wouldn't have gotten the help and support that he did end up getting. He would have been tossed in jail or into an, you know, an asylum of some sort and left to rot um, because it just wasn't recognized that addiction was a, a medical issue. So anyway, I found that really interesting. I kind of wish I'd listened to it before uh, we had uh, recorded this so that I had that that kind of historical information to, to add to this discussion. But it is what it is. I'm slow when it comes to catching up on my ever so long uh, podcast backlog. Uh, but yeah, I will put a link to that specific episode in the in the show notes uh, along with the other things that will be in the show notes as well. So, but I just wanted to add that as I was thinking about it, as I was editing this episode. So back to the episode. Uh -huh. <laughs> I mean, he may, he, his, his situation's a little different because when he was doing what he did, social media was not necessarily, um, uh, yeah, social media was not a, a thing like it is now. Um, but you know, as far as popularity and, um, you know, being able to, to work, um, and, uh, you know, provide for his family and, and things, he was, he was, he was not in a good place. Uh, you know, we've, we've talked about Robert before, um, uh, when he was, we drew his name out of the hat, um, mm -hmm. so, um, but uh, obviously, RDJ, uh, son of uh, 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 his father, Downey Sr., um, was an actor himself and a, and a film uh, filmmaker, um, and uh, not the greatest father figure, um, who apparently he allowed uh, Robert to try marijuana for the first time when he was six and it spiraled from there so by the time he was in his early tween teens he was getting drunk and getting high and using cocaine and all sorts of things so he didn't start off on the right foot um to to say the least um, um so um you know even even with his issues though he was you know, he was part of like the Brat Pack, you know, with Rob Lowe and, and, and folks like that. Um, so he had a, a, a decent career, um, but um, the, the mid to late 90s is where things really, really spiraled for him. And, it, and a lot of people, even people close to him were like, I'm just waiting for the day that I get a phone call and it's like the coroner's office yeah yeah that sort of thing um you know he ended up uh, in the summer of 1996 he appeared before the same judge three times in seven days <laughs> all for various various things including possession of heroin co and cocaine driving under the influence of alcohol and drugs which makes him 
dangerous to not only himself but other people um carrying a 357 magnum which thankfully was unloaded um so yeah, not only was he hurting himself with the substance abuse but he was becoming a nuisance and a and a, a, a danger to other people in fact the the la county prosecutor even called him quote a danger to himself and the community um he had done things like um had uh, escaped from rehab um ended up at his wandering to his neighbor's house breaking in and falling asleep naked in their young son's bed because he was just so high he didn't know what he was doing um so he's been in and out of rehab in and out of rehab and staying clean for very short amount of time and then falling off the wagon um yeah, so in 2000, early 2001, um, he was found wandering barefoot in Culver City with cocaine in his system. At that point, he had been on Ally McBeal um, and was actually doing very well and it helped the ratings quite a bit. Um, but because of this incident, he gets, he gets fired from Ally McBeal, even though he had just signed a new contract for eight more episodes. Um, so he ended up uh, pleading no contest uh, that July, um, which helped him avoid jail time because of a brand new law, California Proposition 36, um, which uh, allows defendants convicted of nonviolent possession offenses to receive probation in lieu of incarceration. Um, so he got really lucky there um, that that was a, a new a new law that he could take advantage of. Um, so. Um, yeah, you know, he was, his issues were well known. He even appears on the uh, cover of People magazine in December of 2000. And the headline on the front of the magazine, Robert Downey Jr. Is he Hollywood's heartbreak kid, an addict who truly can't help himself, or a spoiled star who's had too many second chances? Can he save himself? So... Even, you know, there in the magazines are like, eh, does he need to be canceled? <laughs> Is he canceled? <laughs> so, um, of course, we know that actually after that incident in 2001, he went to rehab um, for, I don't know what number time it was, but this time it actually stuck. Um, and um, goes on to um, slowly restarting his career, doing things like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and uh, Good Night and Good Luck. Um, he, although most of Hollywood did not want to touch him because he was not insurable. Um, so uh, he was relying on friends to uh, put up the insurance money um for for jobs or things like um he's uh only taking like 10 percent of what he would normally get paid and then he would get paid the rest if he completed the work on time and completely sober um even now he has stipulations in his contract for things like that um just because unfortunately once you're an addict you're always an addict you know mm -hmm. um it's it's not something that 
you know, once you get over it, it's suddenly out of your system. Um, there's always the, the chance that he could fall off the wagon, but thankfully he has been clean for a, about the last 20 ish years. Um, okay. And uh, because of that, uh, he ends up uh, becoming, uh, getting uh, the role of Tony Stark in the very first Iron Man movie. Um, and um, even then, even before Iron Man was released, when it was in production, uh, he he realized um, that this was something big for him. Um, uh-huh. And I'll, I'll, I'll quote him in an interview he did in Esquire magazine in 2007. Um, he said, Iron Man is kind of a definitive, something so possibly two-dimensional and vapid and pointless in the bigger scope of life. But it points to a dividing line between me being identified as one thing, which I'll always, which I'll always be, and me being identified as another thing, which I'll always be. Someone who came out here to fucking make movies, and I don't want to be a busboy anymore. I mean, I think his kind of story, I would even loop it maybe with, like, Lindsay Lohan. We're not going to know where the end of her story is yet, or Britney Spears, or something yeah. like that, is, mm-hmm. is a comeback story is from mental illness from addiction which is mental illness is Mm -hmm. such a different thing than intentionally harming other people like maliciously and or making you know ignorant errors when you're younger yeah you know i think like you were saying he is this social history of like his father he was i mean he was a rich kid raised by an actor and neglected I think if I understand his history correctly and so he's more of like a um you know he's someone we would see in therapy like someone who has made a lot of mistakes because they were in pain and mostly hurting themselves Mm -hmm. and I do think those people are always worthy of redemption if they are if they are doing the work you know what I mean like if they are and he's done a lot of work I mean he's really done it he went all the way to the bottom you know what I mean in terms of he went to jail you know he lost his career you know he he hit his bottom several times over Mm -hmm. and you know I think it's great that he found his way back up you know through a lot of I'm sure very very hard work because being famous doesn't exclude you from um the because here what you know what it is because when you're truly in recovery you have to do ego death after ego death after humility after humility like you have to humble yourselves before a higher power sometimes it's god sometimes it's the universe sometimes it's the giant ocean in front of you and so you know so there so that is like a whole nother you know that's a whole nother conversation you know what i mean like someone like him who is who's gone through it and has luckily been able to, you know, get out on the other side with a lot of help. And it sounds like his wife's also been like a true godsend to him mm-hmm. in terms of his mental well-being and like recovery. Yeah. And I think that's the, the takeaway um, is I think the big takeaway that I wanted to, as we wrap up here, um, kind of, shine a light on yeah all these i mean all these situations are different and that's the thing with this 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 whole thing 
is it's it's very nuanced and it almost is a case by case basis. I mean, when you uh, you know, so a lot of the articles and stuff I read where they talk to someone specific and they're like, you know, you know, they're like, you know, I have to take it on a, a case by case basis. You know, what is the person? What was their intent? You know, what do they mean to me? You know, how emotionally invested am I? You know, what effect does this have on me? What does this effect uh, have on the, the greater scope of things? You know, whether it's they're part of a fandom or whatever. Um, so this this is very, very nuanced. Um, but what I think Robert Downey Jr.'s story shows is, um, you know, regardless of his, you know, intent at the time of his actions, um, it's his actions after, you know, and doing that work. It, it really comes down to, are you willing to do the work um, and, you know, do like, uh, you know, what you were uh, saying as far as, uh, you know, facing, facing your, your, your indiscretions and, you know, asking for that forgiveness from those that you may have wronged, knowing that they don't owe you anything as far as forgiveness. Um, and well, yeah. Yeah. Well, and just that Robert Downey Jr. story as an addict is, 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 pretty common to most people who struggle with addiction i mean addiction yeah. is often not you know one thing that happened or the one thing that you lean lean into a lot of time it's a it's uh experiencing a lot of different uh difficulty a lot of different kinds of pain and then being able to you know hit rock bottom and being able to to do the work that needs to be done in order to have the best life that you can have mm -hmm. and his story is not unlike um, any story that we, you would hear from somebody who struggled with substance abuse. Um, and I think, and, and as Brittany, you know, or has BB already said, like is so much, it's just so much on the other side of, mm -hmm. of what cancel uh, culture is that he, um, he was hurting himself. I mean, yeah, there was definitely potential for him to hurt other people. And luckily I don't know that he actually did that, but he was hurting himself. Um, yeah. And, and wasn't taking good care of himself and maybe didn't know how to. Um, and that's so much different than someone who's filling prescriptions to yeah. attack women. Like, yeah. But yeah. And yeah. So like not, you know, keeping those kind of, but again, you know, when people talk about it, it's, I think, I think sometimes I don't know that people know what cancel culture is. I think sometimes we just, uh, maybe go along with it um, because yeah. everyone else is and trying to really understand there's a difference between people being violent offenders um, than, than people who are, who struggled with their mental health or struggled with an addiction. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I know we need to wrap up because we could go on about this for days, I think I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> and uh yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a, a huge difference between you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s story and you know Bill Cosby. Um, I, I I think for me personally, um, 
you know, I'm I'm a huge fan of, of Robert Downey Jr. You know, yeah, I grew up with Bill Cosby. So, you know, there's that childhood nostalgia attached there. Nowadays, yeah, I don't I can't look at him because it, it mm-hmm. makes, you know, it's it's stomach churning just just knowing what he did. Um, but even watching some of our you know Downey's stuff that he did while he was going through this there's part of me that that struggles a little as much as I really enjoy who he is and I think he's extremely talented as as an actor um and I think this comes down to the art and the artist and um and I don't know if it's so much that you know he disgusts me I almost feel pity for him in a way um to to know how much he he was struggling at the time and it's like oh you know Mm -hmm. think of what else you could have done at that time if you had not been in this situation um but then again look at where he is now you know because of what he's been through he is now he he now he is the embodiment of tony stark well, I think you brought up a good point, which is compassion, which is some of these things, some of these situations we've brought up deserve compassion. Mm-hmm. And some of these situations do not. And I think we have to be cautious about where we put our compassion and that continues to be what monoliths that we also don't um, do blanket compassion either. You know yeah. what I mean? Because, I mean, this yeah. might be ruthless that people can you know, you can email us at popcornpsychology at gmail.com, but <laughs> not everyone deserves compassion. And that's a hot take. And I mean, it's what, how I feel, but I think that's part of it too, is I think we have to be more intentional and mindful societally about where we give compassion and where we give thoughtfulness. And I think that's, I think we're still in the baby stages of accountability. And so whenever you're mm-hmm. in the fetal stage of anything, you don't do it very well or you don't do it very thoughtfully you do it very um reactively mm-hmm. and so I think kind of in talking about all this stuff it's like I would hope the takeaway would be is that we have to look at things for on an individual basis with a more critical eye we have to be mindful of the spectrum of it what the intentionality of of the the acts that came up you know what I mean or what the purpose was like even going back to our initial statement about songs of the south like that was made to make a statement about black people like birth of the nation was made to make a statement about black people Mm -hmm. you could argue that gone with the wind was just culturally ignorant you know what I mean and so it wasn't necessarily making a statement about black people but still is racist it looking backwards at it and so it's like also like we have to put take that into context when we decide culturally if we are going to forgive something and continue to hold it in high regard or you know say like you know we don't need to keep looking at this just because it happened it's like with confederate statues we don't have to history does not need to be um stood up for us to remember that it existed you know and so i think sometimes we get too attached to cultural icons because we think like we'll forget like we can't ignore history i mean in not to get too crazy with it but in nazi germany like they're not allowed to i mean in germany you're not allowed to erect anything that commemorate like commemorates nazism in any regard even if it's just in a memorable way because they won't because they're like we know what happened here we don't need Mm -hmm. a statue for it and so i think that also is the context with like cancel culture and 
now that like people are looking backwards and kind of filtering, you know, past, past, past intellectual property is like, do we need to keep saying this just because it existed and was a statement at the time doesn't mean we have to, we have to hold it up the same way we hold up other maybe more compassionate works of art. You know, not everything deserves, in my opinion, not everything deserves a discerning eye because, or to be held up historically just because it is history. But people are free to, can, are free to argue with me about it. <laughs> no, I, I completely agree. And I think that's a, uh, I think that's a good note to end on, I think. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, it, like I said, I knew we weren't going to like solve the world's problems uh, <laughs> with this discussion, but, uh, you know, I, I'd hope that at the very least that with the very least that people take away from this is just the thinking about it, because that that seems to be what we're missing is the, the people putting some thought into it um, instead of you know, using blanket statements and all of these. I need to stay off Twitter, really, is <laughs> what I'm taking away from it is I need to stay off well, Twitter. Well, also, everyone <laughs> needs to stay off Twitter because yeah. even with the James Gunness of it all, like, don't embarrass yeah. yourself by documenting every, yeah. if everyone knew every thought I had and they could pull it up like a journal, like a diary I kept my whole entire life, I would... I would die of embarrassment. I'd walk into the lake and I would never come back. Yeah. It's like, we also have to be cautious societally about how much we just put out there in the public forum, you know, because if we're going to grow, mm -hmm. we have to acknowledge that we're going to change. And are we, do we really want to be embarrassing ourselves constantly for the rest of our lives? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Think before you tweet. There's your yeah. takeaway, folks. Yes. lots of use lots of compassion and think before you tweet <laughs> so um so wrapping up here uh i uh so your guys's chance to uh i know you already dropped your email address there but uh for those that maybe didn't quite catch it and want to uh <laughs> i guess debate if you want <laughs> Well, I the views say, expressed by our guests are not necessarily the views. <laughs> yeah, and uh, trust me, if you if you like the views we expressed here, we only go harder on our mm -hmm. podcast, which is popcorn psychology. Um, you can find us on all major platforms where podcasts are released. Um, we also are on Instagram and Facebook at popcorn psychology, and on Twitter at popcorn underscore psych. Um, but yeah, like if you, if you liked, what you, if you liked us popping off about this topic, we definitely do that all episode, every episode mm -hmm. in, you know, professionally on our <laughs> podcast as well. And Ben is even, he's, he's, I wouldn't say he's worse. He's, we're all on the same level is what I would say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but they're great discussions and they cover all sorts of, um, topics and from different uh genres you know it's not just uh you know they cover some of the big ones you know star wars and and things like that but they also do they've got episodes about mean girls and anchorman and stepbrothers and mm -hmm. you know all in ho some horror films and 
and you know I is I, I especially appreciate the episodes of things like Midsummer, where I don't necessarily want to watch the movie, but I know enough <laughs> about the movie that I can still enjoy the discussion <laughs> without having to watch said film. <laughs> so yeah, go give them go give them a listen, and um, we'll have uh, links to to all their stuff in in the show notes. Um, which you can find at thefiveishfangirls.com, um, where you can also uh, connect with us uh, with all of our social medias and the five million resources I will have in the show notes uh, for this week's show. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, uh, thank you so much to uh, Hannah and, and BB uh, for joining this and uh, joining us. And hopefully maybe next time Ben will be able to, to join in the discussion too. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll try and find something maybe a less heavy <laughs> to talk about <laughs> next time uh so if anyone's got any ideas out there maybe a, maybe a movie they have not covered on their show that maybe would be a good crossover for us but i got suggestions out there hit us up <laughs> um so but uh yeah really appreciate you guys taking the the time uh for this and great uh insights and and everything so um Thank Thanks you for having us. so much. You are absolutely welcome. So um, with that, uh, we shall sign off for this week. This is Brittany and Troy saying goodnight. This is Holly from Wisconsin saying good evening. And this is Rachel in Indianapolis, Indiana. To quote Bill and Ted, just be excellent to each other.